Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 14 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our topic is on sexual empowerment. We're going to talk about what does sexual empowerment entail? What are some of the factors that get in the way for people to get in touch with their sexual power and desire? And what we can do to cultivate erotic authenticity? For this topic, I invited a very special guest. Our guest today is Dr. Patty Britton. Dr. Patty is a clinical sexologist, sexuality educator, and a pioneer of sex coaching with top-level credentials. As a well-respected world leader in the field of sexology, she's the author of hundreds of articles, four amazing books, and is former columnist for Penthouse Forum. Dr. Patty is a your tango expert, popular speaker, sought after trainer and workshop leader, blogs on her own website, and hosts over 40 DVDs for women's and couples sexual enhancement. Her media record includes appearances on national television shows, documentaries, live talk and news radios, and with frequent codes in magazines, such as Cosmo, Men's Health, Women's Health, Glamour, Men's Fitness, WebMD, AOL, and Help. One thing that's super exciting is that she recently opened Sexology University. You can check it out at sexologyu.com. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Patty. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm so excited that our guest today is Dr. Patty Britton. We're going to talk about uh, sexual empowerment. I'm so excited to have Dr. Patty here. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's wonderful to have you. So without further ado, because I know you have so many great knowledge and information in this area, I'm just going to jump in to kind of talk about our topic today, which is sexual empowerment. I know in the brief communication we had prior to this recording, you mentioned that you're very passionate about helping women or feeling empowered to find who they are and what they want. So uh, when you hear about sexual empowerment, what does usually that entail? Well, it's interesting that we begin by focusing on women because I find in my clinical practice where I serve males, females, couples of all orientations and gender identities, that a lot of people are really needing that sense of empowerment. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of fear and anxiety that surrounds sex, that surrounds expressing your sexual energy or your sexuality. And when I think of what empowerment entails, it really comes out of a model that I formulated not that long ago because I, I've been a clinical sexologist and many other things in this field of sexology, which is the study of what people do sexually and how they think and feel about it. But when I think about empowerment, I evolved this expression called 
sexual self-realization. And for all of you listeners who know a little bit about Abraham Maslow and psychology, the father of humanistic psychology, actually, he, you know, his model was really the, the hierarchy of human needs. And at the very bottom of the pyramid or the hierarchy, believe it or not, aside from shelter and food and the need to drink water is sex. It's a biological function that's essential and integral and natural and healthy for humans. And it's part of being human. It's, it's an essential ingredient in our humanity. And why I talk about sexual self-realization is just like, you know, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy, we evolved to become realized as our sexual self. And his work was not so much about the self-realization as a sexual being, but that's the concept that I like to, I like to work from that and then coach my clients to really attaining that. And honestly, it's kind of simple, not easy, but it's simple. (laughs) And, you know, like many things, and it's really getting to know who you are, how you work, how your body works, how you experience and find and derive pleasure from your body, and feeling entitled to pleasure. You know, in sexology, We have a paradigm that we work with with our clients and those that I train professionally as well to then bring to their clients and students. And that's that the goal of sex, certainly, you know, we used to be in a paradigm where the goal of sex was procreation and certainly some value systems still uphold that. And that's fine. We are taught and trained to work with the client where he, she, they are at. But there's something about really working toward pleasure, feeling pleasure, having positive feedback, positive self-regard, and positive experiences from sexual expression. And that's really part of what sexual empowerment in my world entails. I love that and how you kind of tied it to the kind of the relationship between sexual actualization and sexual realization and how it is like our right to feel the pleasure. These are music to my ears. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, I think one of my little bylines is what I used to say, I used to sign off, celebrate your sexual self. And I, and I really do still mean that. But at the bottom of my bio, I always have something like, you know, I believe that men, women, couples of all backgrounds and orientations have a divine birthright to experience pleasure and be who they are as authentic sexual beings. So there's something almost spiritual about it but certainly honoring the human experience, right? Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And I know that sometimes that we kind of born with this uh, sexual drive and something happens that people lose in touch with their sexual power and desire. Based on your experience and work with clients, what are some of the factors that get in the way? Well, we don't have six hours for me to answer this question adequately. <laughs> oh, boy. That's a book in itself. Maybe and Cliff the, Note version of it. You know, you know the, the cheat sheet on it uh, as much as I can. But, you know, when I, when I think about this question, and, and I do think about this question a lot because I have clients from so many different backgrounds with so many different goals or needs, and some of it is actually helping them overcome their story. And this may sound odd, but we all come with a sexual story, which we create. We write the story. And a lot of the work that I do 
is helping my clients rewrite that story. It's like reframing the narrative of what are you telling yourself? One of my favorite people of all times who was a renowned sex therapist and also psychotherapist, among other things, was Dr. Albert Ellis. And he used to have these wonderful expressions. He used to say, stop awfulizing. He's funny to watch. (laughs) Stop catastrophizing. What are you telling yourself? And I was his patient for three sessions. That was all I could take. Um, (laughs) He was a very intense man. And I learned so much from him, both as a patient, but also as a role model for the authenticity of how a therapist or a coach or a clinician might work with a, a client. And part of what I learned is that so much of where the enemy lies when it comes to losing desire or not feeling empowered is actually what are you telling yourself? It's your sexual story. It's how you wrote that. And you can rewrite that. And it may need help. You may need to kind of look into how do people construct that story? How do they rewrite their story? And certainly I do that in my private practice. But I think being able to reframe that even though maybe at 12 you had a disabling or disappointing or traumatic experience, that doesn't define who you are for the rest of your life. And that's really important. Having techniques, having technologies, having the support that's competent and well-trained to help you overcome and heal past traumas. The other thing is that everybody has a BS. And, you know, I hope you're smiling. uh, (laughs) I do. You can all see. I love, I'm loving this uh, (laughs) stories. (laughs) So your BS is not your BS, as you might think it is. It's your belief system. And Mm -hmm. all of us has, every one of us has a belief system. Some of it is accurate. Some of it is not so accurate. And it really connects to that sense of your writing your own sexual story or narrative for your life. And so what you believe, you know, what you tell yourself is true. What you believe is going to dictate your experience. So if you believe that you're not entitled to pleasure or you're never going to have an orgasm with your husband, if you believe that you're not lovable, and I could go on and on and on in a million different directions, then it's true. So shifting the belief system is going to shift your experience because I believe, and I'm trained, that thoughts create emotion, create behavior. Not that there isn't a cycling up and down and around sometimes, but in in certainly the trainings that I came from, which really reflect cognitive behavioral therapy or Dr. Albert Ellis's, which I think is the best there ever was, being one of the fathers of cognitive behavioral, was rational emotive behavioral therapy. And and so learning how to catch yourself, like what are you, you know, what are you, what are you telling yourself? How are you blaming yourself? How are you shaming yourself? Shame and toxic shame in particular is probably the biggest block to experiencing sexual pleasure, if not even sexual function. Shame is really a huge part of clearing away what is stopping you from experiencing your fulfillment, your sexual self-realization. And the other thing that's really interesting today is that there, there still is terminology that we use in sexology that's kind of everywhere if you think about it, and that's the sexless relationship. And I'm with, you know, on the phone or on Skype or very few I take in-person clients where we talk about the fact that Here's a couple who've been together for a period of time, often five years or more. Yes, five years or more. They haven't had sex and they don't touch. And that 
lack of touch is lack of thriving. We know that, right? About infants. Infants need touch to thrive, human infants. And the same is true for human adults. Right, right. (laughs) We need that contact. I mean, you know, we could talk for an hour about the health benefits of touch. So there's something that goes on in in the dynamic of a sexless couple. And that dynamic really, it's kind of like a train wreck. It's kind of like the train is, you know, in a, in a, in a wreck and it's off the tracks. And my role, and I'm sure you do this too clinically, is to help this train get back on the track and go in the right direction. And, you know, one of the most chilling kind of statistics, and it's actually a, a framework that I'm going to share by another renowned sex therapist, Dr. Barry McCarthy, is that the cause of the sexless relationship for many women in heterosexual long-term committed relationships, mostly marriages, is profound disappointment in the relationship, in the sexual relationship. So a lot of this is about learning how to connect, learning how to be a good lover, and making, making it a priority, not letting sex happen at 11.29 p.m. at night when the news is ending, you're exhausted, you're in bed, the kids are to sleep, the day job is put away on that cell phone, and you're like, oh, I guess we should have sex now. Nobody is ready for that moment, unless you're in a very hot, usually... <laughs> or you're 15. <laughs> ...situation where, you know, it's usually not with your long-term partner. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of going outside of the committed relationship, by the way. There's a lot of recovery work that actually has to be done when that's the antidote for starvation or that sexless state of I'm not being touched, I'm not connecting, I don't feel that our monogamous contract is being upheld. I, I actually frame for my couple's work, I frame their relationship agreements as a contract. And often, they have to rewrite their contract. And they have to meet like a business might meet, as a corporation might meet, on a weekly basis and review the terms of the contract and look at progress reports. That's a revolutionary (laughs) tactic that I use that really seems to do the job sometimes. (laughs) So, you know, the factors that get in the way are, are, are really infinite. And sometimes it's in the mental realm or an emotional state, um, a lot of issues that affect women in particular are negative body image issues. Uh, you know, I could tell you story after story, case after case, disguised, of course, to protect my clients, where body image issues really were what impeded her from feeling open to being sexual. And we know about desire as we look at some of the new work that's come out in sexology such as Come As You Are, which is an amazing book on female sexuality that talks about how women are really governed by a dual control model when it comes to desire. That's, that's, I mean, we've always taught that, but we didn't have that beautiful little metaphor to help our female clients or their partners understand. Some women are hungry and on the edge of desire, but most women are not, and they're willing or they're receptive to an initiation to then trigger or awaken their desire. And that's a different, really, paradigm shift again in how we view women's sexuality. So I'm going to stop there because I could say a lot more. <laughs> no, I love that. So uh, one thing that you were talking about, and I think it was fantastic, you were talking about shame. And we had one of other like sexologists, they talked about shame a little bit, but 
As it relates to values, I feel some of my clients that I work with, they're coming in and one of their values is that after like lots of session comes up that it's that they want to connect sexually with their partner, but they're experiencing this intense shame around wanting the sexual connection. So how can, how does, can people kind of like clarify their values around sexualities and kind of incorporate it in their lives? So one of the programs that I run, and I'm, I'm kind of a pioneer in using a model for the tried and true sensitivity training in the field of sexology, and it's called a SAR, and it stands for Sexual Attitudes, Reassessment, and Restructuring. Oh, and I've seen that. That is great. You've seen that, right. And it's basically a training for professionals who work with individuals and couples around their sexuality issues, or maybe they're a professor in a human sexuality context at a university, or they may be a priest, or they may be an imam, or they may be a rabbi, or they may be a social worker or a nurse, or wherever it is that a professional might interface with someone around the conversation and the treatment of sexual issues. But a SAR is also something that regular people could benefit from. And one of the one of the wonderful things that's happened for me as a clinician and as an educator is that uh, my partner, Dr. Robert Dunlap, and I have just finished. In fact, we're today finishing the edits on a new book coming out through an academic press, which is Taylor Francis, based in the UK. It's a Routledge publication, and it's how to design and lead a successful SAR. And inside that book is a training manual. But even anyone who just wants to understand how do you, what do you need to do to open yourself up? How do you awaken yourself to this infinite range of human sexual potential and expression? And how do you clarify your values? And so the book really gets into detail about that. But one of the things that, you know, you're really now in a, in a very difficult part of the territory. And that difficult part of the territory is our belief systems now become our value systems. And our value systems are inculcated in us. So how you're raised religiously, how you are raised culturally. For example, in the Persian culture, there are a lot of sanctions around women. Absolutely. And feeling desired or feeling desirous is even more underscore. And the role of the male and the entitlement. I mean, I have had, I've had the privilege, and I really mean that word, of when I taught at the graduate school in Westwood, the California Graduate Institute, now the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, but they closed the campus. When I taught there, gosh, almost half of my students in the grad programs were Persian of Iranian descent. And I <laughs> love them. I love this. I love this culture. And, and I love it because there's so much to unpack to to give permission you see in sexology one of our main tactics i'm going to say i don't know why that word comes out <laughs> like that but methodology is a softer is actually based on a model that was developed in the 1970s called the Plicit model. And it begins with giving permission to your clients. But I turn it around and I say, I want you to give yourself permission. And overriding all of that cultural uh, value system or the religious value system and, and real, or the family values, which could be even on top of that or different, really requires being exposed to new thinking, being exposed to permission giving, being exposed to different role models 
for how to be that, but also how to navigate from where you are to that. And that's part of the beauty of either working with an expert in sexology, like myself, or really, you know, putting yourself in a, in a situation where you're exposed to new teachings, taking classes, going online. And there are many ways that you can really work to change that, change that value system. But the reason I say this is treacherous is because as a clinician, as a, as a sexuality educator, sexologist, and the pioneer of sex coaching, I would never want to infiltrate or impose on anyone else my value system. So my work is always about honoring and respecting my client from where they're coming and also knowing that they may not be able to change their value system. A great example is one of the most highly charged topics in sexuality, and that's the role of masturbation. So I've had clients from extremely religious backgrounds who say to me, I know you tell me that I have to masturbate, that it's the foundation for all partner sex, that if I don't masturbate, I won't know what my body needs and wants and likes and how it responds organically. But I am never going to do that because it goes against all of my thinking and my believing and my values. And those values have been carried for generations in my family and in my religion. And I say, then let's look for an alternative. However, I'm not going to back off what I'm teaching in terms of the power and the role of masturbation. And maybe over time, that value system could embrace that possibility and maybe not, but it's really up to you, the individual, to make that determination. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it's fantastic because we all have different value systems. I also work, obviously, I'm Iranian myself and lots of yeah. Iranian clients that are coming from different level of acculturations and their beliefs are yeah. so different. And I think it's just very important to be mindful of where they're coming from, whether it's working for them or not, their belief system, and yes. what are they comfortable with. Yes, because your value system is really like an operating system in the background. <laughs> and when your operating system needs an upgrade or an update, right. that's a time to really look at, well, what will the new operating system give me? What will I lose from that? And what will, I guess, I gain from that? And, and so I like to use metaphoric language because I think it speaks to how difficult it is sometimes to even talk about these concepts, like how deeply your values either inform and impede or enhance your ability to express your sexuality and to experience pleasure and connection. What, what I find from most of the women that I work with, and I'm seeing it increasingly in the males, is that most women seem to need and want connection. And I like to call it connectivity because connectivity feels like electricity running. It's really more energetic. And I work from that perspective with my clients. And I love that women need to feel connected before they're going to get into the mechanics of a sexual act. Whereas for men, often men are more interested in connecting through the sexual act and then feeling emotional connection. We have different pathways in our brains. And so I think that's part of the divide. But a lot of my work is to help the male-female dynamic stop being at war with each other <laughs> and look for bridges that we can build in understanding and compassion for how, how really the same we are. 
I love that metaphor. And it's a good segue for the next and last question, because I know yeah. your time is limited. I want to be definitely mindful of that. One of the questions that I get a lot from my clients and also from listeners that they want to become more authentic. So they're concerned about think they want to learn about what are some of the ways that they can cultivate erotic authenticity? Well, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier, which is to find positive role models. There are, you know, so many great books that have been written. There are so many wonderful websites that are out there. There are YouTube, Vimeo, other platform videos that one can watch. There is television. There's media that just, you know, surrounds us infinitely. The other thing is to give yourself permission to explore and experiment. Because, you know, you may feel a longing or have a fantasy about one of the classics is bringing a woman into the bedroom as a heterosexual couple. And it may be that she really is the one who's pushing for that, not he, in that heterosexual relationship. Or it may be that he is because it's we know statistically through literature that the female-female scene in porn is formulaic because men get off on that. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. So let's just say that. But what I find is that I'm, I'm meeting a lot more women today who are married and or in long-term committed relationships who are younger, not in the baby boomer generation at all, but I'd say 30s and 40s, who have a lot more permission that they feel around them and within themselves to want to explore the female-female experience. And so allowing themselves to really look into that, but to do it in a calculated educated, conscious way. You don't just, you know, open the door or look online and go, oh, let's go into this or let's go to a party. And why not? Because there has to be a lot of thought put into changing the dynamic of a committed dyad or duo in a relationship and bringing a third person into it. There may be other fantasies, like, you know, if we look at the explosion of what has happened with the Fifty Shades Revolution. <laughs> I <laughs> love that you call it the revolution. Not really documentaries, let's say that, <laughs> um, and not the best movies either, um, <laughs> or the best literature. Right. But what, what, the, what has happened is a sea change had happened when E.L. James released that trilogy. Something opened up in the, the, in the universe of sexual permission, in the universe of sexual exploration, sexual expression itself. And so I think that's such a positive because again, we're normalizing and validating things that may be shame connected because maybe she or he is saying to oneself, I'm weird, or there's something wrong with me that I would, I like to have my hands put under my head and be pushed down on the bed in order to experience love and sex with my husband. No, there's nothing weird about that. That's kind of your kinky fetish, how you're wired as a lover. And it's wonderful as long as you understand that it's by choice and consent and that this is an erotic pathway for you to find your authenticity. So there are so many, so many ways that people can become authentic. But again, you have to know yourself and you have to know your own body and how it ex expands and contracts and what you need for pleasure and connectivity and, and all of the things that we've been talking about today. Absolutely. And, and I love it that you were talking about that people need to be intentional about yes. those acts and also see if it's congruent with their values. 
not necessarily with the shame that they're driving there, yes. kind of sometimes, unfortunately, their behavior, but with their like true values. Yes, you said it more beautifully than I did. Oh, oh my God, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so I know uh, right before the start of this recording, you mentioned that you have a beautiful offering for our listeners. And also I want, I bet many of them, they want to get in touch with you. So what is that offering? And also how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So I wrote this beautiful ebook called For Her Pleasure. And I did it while I was making a DVD series, I'm the doctor on duty for lovingsex.com, which is couples sexual enhancement educational programs. They were originally on DVD and now most of them are streaming so that you can go to the website and download them. You can also get them off my website, which is drpattybritton.com. And what happened is, as I was making this program, it was three DVDs, and it was this extraordinary experience for me as an educator to interpret the Kama Sutra of ancient times and modernize it for today's world. And the second DVD was on women. And I thought, I really want to write an ebook about this. So that's what it is. It's how women can experience fulfillment and pleasure and understanding her anatomy and pleasure spots. And it's written in a really beautiful way. So that's my gift to all of you. I'm so excited. I'm the first person that's going <laughs> to check that out. Thank you Wonderful. so much for your time. It was absolutely a pleasure to have you on in our show. It was great to be here. Thanks so much. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I would love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, and also the requests you have for our future episodes. And it was very helpful to hear how Dr. Patty defines sexual empowerment. It seems like based on what she talked about, sexual empowerment is about owning your story, owning your sexuality, and all aspects like celebrating different aspects of life, so your body, your relationships. And she could have highlighted the importance of identifying your values, sexual values, and creating a life that is congruent with those values. Again, thank you so much for your time and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.